and welcome everybody to Fantasy Bookers. We are wearing our lab coats today because we are going to do science in an ongoing science series where we are going to rank every single pro wrestling match ever done. Three okay. at a time, so we will be done sometime around an infinite number of time when the universe dies. <laughs> and then the day before the heat death of the universe, there's going to be another large card, and we're going to have to try to find a way to postpone the heat death of the universe just to make sure. But um, So we are lo- going to be looking at more or less the our decisions for some of the greatest matches available here and we're going to go in chronological order when we do these types of matches we will probably open this up on our facebook or i do comment in instagram are there comments in instagram absolutely we post dumb pictures but there's comments yeah so (laughs) so we can eventually open open up like if anyone has any suggestions for greatest matches on that and get a whole bunch of terrible things that are listeners potentially give us or fantastic things that our listeners give us because you you're listening to us so you obviously have impeccable tastes that's that's how i save myself there (laughs) (laughs) so so today we are looking at the tlc match um between edge and john cena from unforgiven in in 2006 we are looking at Kota Ibushi against Shinsuke Nakamura from Wrestle Kingdom 9 for the Intercontinental title. And we are looking at the first Women's War Games match. Personally, I don't think there's going to be a big debate over which of these is going to be best. But we will get to that <laughs> as we get to it. So we'll start in 2006. The before time. The long, long ago, when there wasn't a pandemic, when the worst possible president we had was George W. Bush. I'll let the nostalgia roll over you for a little bit there. And we get Jr. and King on commentary for Smooth Cena, Marine Cena, uh, facing off against <laughs> Edge for the title in a TLC match, but really it's just a ladder match. So... Marwin and Suzette, why did you choose this? Oh, wait, no, Ace, you chose this match. <laughs> so I get to blame you. It, this is right up our alley. So it's... But this time it's not even us. Yeah. I'm an edgehead, but this time it wasn't me. <laughs> so I chose this match because this is the match that, that made me a wrestling fan. When, oh. I, when I started watching, the first time I watched wrestling, when I was like, I watched it a little when I was a kid, but had no like, didn't really know what I was watching. The SummerSlam of that of 2006, I had some friends invite me over to a, their house and watch. I watched SummerSlam with them, and that got me interested in wrestling. And so I started watching. And then we got when it when it rolled around to Unforgiven 2006, we watched. I went over to their house again. We watched Unforgiven 2006. And this TLC match is what finally is what really made me a wrestling fan. What made me watch every week. What made me try to watch as many pay per views as I could. So. This is back when Cena actually tried to put on good wrestling matches. So this, I you becoming like dedicated as a fan because of this match, I can see that. I believe it. 
This is like peak rated R edge. You have John Cena who actually gives a fuck about his character and his ability to put on a good match. It's not John Cena coming out doing the three moves of doom and winning and winning and winning and winning. It's not boring or repetitive crap. This is a plus professional wrestling. And it's weird because this is ruthless aggression wrestling. This is stupid spinner belt wrestling. (laughs) Which is why I have a question for Ace. Ace, what about this made you want to watch it every week? I, I bought into the, like, this was the, this was the end of the John Cena and edge story. And just from SummerSlam to Unforgiven and the payoff of this match, like it made me buy into the story. It made me want to see more stories. <coughs> yeah, I, I, I see that. Yeah, I dig that. And I, because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not the biggest John Cena fan, but this feud was insane. This was kind of Edge's Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock, as it were. Yeah, this was like, Edge's nemesis, and I felt that here. Yeah, Seeing that it again, was, it took me back to a different time. It was it's Edge when he's at his most scummiest heel, at, like his most pe- his peak of being a scummy heel with C. And it's it's before everyone started hating Cena. So he was yeah. actually he was getting booed a little bit in, during but, this match, the the Cena sucks chance. But I feel like that was they, more because they were Edge fans. It's yeah, right. they were they're in Toronto. They're in Edge's hometown. Yeah, yeah. it makes, so, like it makes sense. Like it it with the match like it didn't feel like it's a fuck John Cena it's a no like Edge actually has fans as a wrestler and it was nice it wasn't just whoever John Cena is against we're gonna cheers for them on principle because we're sick of John Cena no Edge actually has fans and this is I love this match and yeah so yeah so do I it feels like Edge is he's been here a while so he's kind of a veteran here and John Cena is coming up so it feels like the new gunslinger in town and he's just taking care of the old guy. It's a great feud of the new guy taking care of, well, the old guy taking care of the new guy. Edge is pretty much carrying this feud, but it's Cena's turn and I felt it here. This, this kind of felt like, um, I do th- still think that Cena was pretty limited here. He didn't really start expanding his move set until after WrestleMania 29. Uh, or kind of around the WrestleMania 29 build, because that's when he had his uh, big match on Monday Night Raw against CM Punk, which was easily the best match those two ever had, yeah. but against each other at least. <laughs> and um, when he got the U.S. title and started doing the U.S. title open challenge, he really started expanding. This he he knows what he's what moves he's good at at least he has his little hip toss where he does kind of the jump and lands on his butt and it it's a decent way to do that hip toss move um he has his uh his weird power bomb he still does the five moves of doom in this but i can say that about every bret hart match as well and bret hart has a much higher work rate than john yeah. cena does it it's not a, it's not always, it's not about the number of moves you know it's about doing those moves in unique ways and not yeah. doing them just in the same order all the time exactly and cena knows even here he knew when to when he kind of needed to step up this 
kind of amazed me in that Cena was actually taking some pretty hard bumps. He took some bumps onto the ladder. He did the chair spot. He did these things when I'm used to Cena knocking people into chairs or doing something else to do the brunt of the damage. So that was weird to see. And a complete aside, what got me laughing and woke up Tina because I was watching this in bed was the, uh, so <laughs> I'll, I'll say this. So, so Teddy Long, I think is like the most cuddly personality in wrestling. He, he looks like you just want to hug him. <laughs> yeah. 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 He yeah. smells like for, Thanksgiving. For cooking. them to go, oh, this nefarious Teddy Long in his skybox, and he's just sitting there, like, glowering over this match, <laughs> just was the funniest thing to me when I watched this at 11 o'clock at night. Because <laughs> I, I had watched this show in its entirety about a month and a half ago because I got a, I got onto a kick of, like, I want to go back and watch all these pay-per-views from when I started watching wrestling. Yeah. Throughout the night, they show him up in that skybox, just sitting there <laughs> waiting, waiting for Cena to lose so Cena can come to SmackDown. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better in context. It's, oh, it's amazing. Oh, man. Oh, it's... I my favorite thing about this match, and this is so in 2006. For I'm I'm gonna show my age here for everybody at home. In 2006, I was 19, 19 years old, and I still watch professional wrestling. My dad watched wrestling. My sister watched wrestling. It was like a family activity. Well, that's right. I was an edgehead at this band. Yeah, you guys so, love Cena, right? So Marlon is on one couch talking about how great Edge is. And my dad is in his chair talking about how great John Cena is. And they're arguing the entire length of every match that these two ever have. And this one's no different. This was not a good night for me. No, no, no. Because my dad's thing about sports in like period is the best team is the team that wins the most. And the best wrestler is the wrestler that wins the most. My dad's a mark. He's, yeah. so, but he's so easily bought. He's a huge Bret Hart fan. Easily bought. <laughs> <laughs> favorite wrestler the rock easily bought and it's it, it's like the just just the like they're going down memory lane watching this match and going oh right and yeah. then there's you know all the other edge and john cena moments that kind of started like a conversation of hey remember when edge cashed in money in the bank against john cena and everybody was pissed off except edge and marlin <laughs> Me and my guy Edge. It's it was it, it was just fun to like remember these two in this era and everything that came with it. And how they pretty much carried it. No other no other feud was really memorable at this time, except whatever John Cena was doing with whoever at this point. It was always John Cena and Edge were the reason to watch SmackDown. I had or Raw, depending on whatever show they were on. It feels a little different here. Like the major story, all the plot line, all the oomph, all the energy went into this match. And yeah, it, it was worth it. They sold the show. They tore the roof off the joint. And Cena was worth the investment. Mind you, he takes over the company in the main event spot for years after this. But I could see why they did it. Yeah, the main thing I questioned with this match is they obviously have the stipulation that, oh, if... Cena loses pretty much no matter what. He has this three-year contract to SmackDown. And knowing current WWE, 
I wonder how long it took, how long that three years lasted before they tossed Cena on to Monday Night Raw. I think he no, it, it wouldn't it would have been it was a couple years later they they when they were doing that draft where it was always the random picks to switch win the match and then your brand gets the random pick. <laughs> he John Cena like John Cena in one night got drafted to SmackDown one and then later in the night I think. I want to say he lost the match for SmackDown. Raw wins. Raw gets the pick. It go, spins through all the SmackDown stars, and Raw and John Cena gets drafted back to Raw. Are we talking about the night they spun a fucking wheel and said whatever, and then they made decisions based on the wheel? No, that's that. Those were like the the Raws and SmackDowns when they would do them from Las Vegas, where they would spin for the mat for the match types. Yeah, this was their draft epi- their how they would were doing draft episodes from like two thousand seven, eight, and nine. This is redundant. The I... wrestling is really gimmicky. <laughs> <laughs> Just they say it was they say it was the like a rand- randomly spun. It was they they knew who they picked and they just would show through quickly like they were randomly choosing. Like, but... I randomly select John Cena. What and not Eugene? You sure? You sure it wasn't Eugene? Yep, John Cena. Or Edge. I, I'll say too, though, for this match, and so, what if they, one of the things that I think is important to note about it, when this match happened, it was only the sixth ever TLC match in WWE. Oh, wow. Oh, so it was still and, special. Yeah. And it was only the second one that was between two singles wrestlers and not tag teams. The other one, I think, from, from my research, had been earlier in the year between Ric Flair and Edge. So making further comparisons, this is... Essentially, like Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart in a ladder match yeah. of their time. It's this is still a rare thing. Yeah, it's rare, and this was this was the first real big time of this is how two people, how two big superstars in their prime are going to handle this match type. That makes Triple me forgive a little bit on calling this a TLC match because in my head I'm like, okay, modern WWE, this is a ladder match. <laughs> Because every single ladder match will have table and chair spots now. And because if you give wrestlers an inch, they'll take a mile. You make it a chair match, they'll pull out a freaking sledgehammer. Uh, since this match happened, there have been 19 TLC matches. 19? Well, this is 2006, so that was 14 years ago? That yeah. doesn't make sense considering they have a TLC pay-per-view. Well, because they didn't have the TLC pay-per-view until like five years after this. Yeah. If I remember. Well, yeah, but even I still I feel like for their pay per views like that, oh t- TLC and this and that. I think all the matches should be like TLC matches. Yep. Hell in a Cell, all your matches need to be Hell in a Cell matches. War Games, all your matches are War Games matches. Like, come on, get with the goddamn program. I well, am. If, I am better with just eliminating those names from if you if you have every match in a hell in a cell, then you have TNA. Then you essentially have TNA's pay per view lockdown. And if WWE <laughs> if WWE doesn't want to do that, I fully support WWE in their endeavors. <laughs> TNA lockdown, and I have to be. <laughs> so this is what gets. <laughs> So this is what kind of gets me into the main question I have with this with this particular match. And I guess it's going to be with the women's war games as well. Because we're we're ranking these all against each other. We're we're building a like made a main list of these matches that we end up looking at. 
So do we take points away if it is a gimmick match compared to just like a one-on-one singles or one-on-one tag <laughs> match without gimmicks? I think I think in ranking it should be like one-on-one matches, tag team matches, women's matches, like women's singles matches, women's tag team matches, although there's not very many of those. They should still be their own thing. And then like singles matches that aren't gimmicky. I think that should be like a good way to do it because if you you can't compare this match objectively speaking to Abushi and Nakamura. Abushi and Nakamura is a fucking wrestling clinic that makes you pay attention. TLC makes you wait for spots where it looks like somebody's going to get hurt and then they may or may not. Arguably at the same this is the same energy though. This is the veteran Carrying the new guy while the new guy takes over. Shinsuke Nakamura is getting ready to go on to newer and bigger and better things, leaving NJPW for Ibushi. And that's exactly what happens here if Edge and Cena. Like, John Cena just takes over at this point. I mean, where's Shinsuke Nakamura now? He's up here in the U.S. Fair, but it's it's less the, less the outcome in the character development and more objectively the match itself, I think, anyway. I am fine building subcategories, but I cannot I cannot rightfully say that we cannot compare the gimmick matches against the regular matches because that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> so I'm I'm fine putting them into into subcategories like as we as we build out the list where we can feasibly say it's like, oh yeah, this is like the 50th best match, but it's also the best TLC match. Um, And to kind of get that. But I I like the idea of having kind of an all-encompassing list of, hey, what is, and I say this with the biggest air quotes possible, objectively the best wrestling match, because it's all (laughs) going to be based on our opinions anyway. But it does need to be an agreement of at least the people recording. So <laughs> the list that we have for these top three, those are going to be the top three matches in all of wrestling, at least until we do another record. Okay, well, top, in that case, I think if we're doing it kind of like, um, I don't want to say like a plus minus kind of thing, but I can't think of another analogy because my brain is useless. Um, if you're doing it that way, then gimmick matches lose like a like a they get one thumbs down kind for of thing. You? for me, yeah, oh, because wow. I and I, I love TLC matches like the original TLC match between the Dudleys, Edge and Christian, and the Hardys. Is, yeah, that's why I'm thrown off by this. It's it's one of my favorite matches. However, Bret Hart in a 60 minute Iron Man match. Wrestling a fucking clinic, I could watch that all day, every day, on loop for the rest of my life. There's only so many times I can watch Jeff Hardy fall off a ladder on purpose before I'm like, okay, do you have any other fucking tricks? Uh, I see what you mean. So a spot fest is like the jump scare of wrestling. Right. That's After- it. That's it. I can only, you can only do that to me so many times before I'm like, okay, can you fucking... Do you know what a fisherman suplex is? Can you perform one of those? I see what you mean. Like, I've seen the, the dive through the rope so many times that it's lost all meaning 
for me. It was cool the first few times. So was the 619. Now every cruiserweight can do the 619, and it doesn't. Io Shirai does the 619, and it's the best 619. Yeah, now everyone has their version of it. I, 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 I get that. But <laughs> <laughs> there is something to be said about working with what you have. And this is the show that these guys put on with the tools they had at hand. And it told one hell of a story. After what we saw of how much they hated each other for weeks, I am so happy it came to this. This is like watching Jerry Springer, and then he hands one of the guests a bat. Because <laughs> like, you even get spots like about how much they dislike each other in the match. Like at the end there, before Cena climb, like I think it's before Lita, the right before Lita comes in, edges down on the ground, and Cena goes to exit the ring to go beat him up some more. Looks back up at the title, looks back at Edge, and then like, you see him having this battle in his mind of do do I beat him up more because I hate him so much, or do I win this match and be champion? And that actually made, I will say something I appreciate about John Cena, and I know this is a criticism for some people. He is so cartoony with his mannerisms. There is no subtlety <laughs> to what John Cena is telling you in the ring. And it's it very amazing. easy to draw. He, that's actually it's one of my favorite things about John Cena. On some days, it's the only thing I like about John Cena. He looks like a red and stimpy military sergeant. He He looks like the guy, the the big buff fairy from the Fairly Odd Parents. Yes. That's who he reminds me of. Just fucking swooping in, Mister Steal Your Girl. I'm gonna tell you what to do. I'm gonna have all these muscles while I'm doing it, and you can't say no. Why? Because I'm bigger than you. He reminds me of every cast member of GI Joe, including Jane <laughs> and Roadblock, just black faces. <laughs> I, was, I think, though, the thing that I liked the most about this match, so we try to pull this to the end so we can move on to the next one. The thing I liked most about this <laughs> match was I didn't, there, like, it, it did not have, feel like it had any, like, super contrived spots where you, where it was, we have, we're going to wait, John Cena's going to lay on the ground and wait for Edge to set something up so then Edge can go pick him up and then John Cena can inevitably put him through it. Because that is the rule of wrestling: is if you if you put if you set up some sort of apparatus with multiple chairs and tables, you're the one that's getting putting through it. I'm glad we're not the only one who came to that conclusion watching wrestling. Yep, and there he goes, and that's it. (laughs) Yeah, mind you, we're we're watching these as you guys are talking about them, just for added effect. And Edge just went through a table that he set up as as you brought that up. Just to demonstrate your point to us, and so like it, 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 it did not have that thought thing that a lot of modern ladder matches and TLC matches have. Of you're, we have to, we're gonna wait for somebody. We're, there's while somebody's doing something, everyone else is just gonna lay on the ground and rest. And work the match around the spot. I hate work. Have you ever watched match. a live show do that? Royal Rumbles are really disappointing in real life. We'll talk about right. the women's war games if we want to talk about people waiting around for spots. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's one spot in that that springs right to my mind, so. <laughs> but as of right now, guys, Edge Cena, greatest match of all time. It, it is the only one on the list right now. <laughs> so moving on to Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom 9, which was 2013? Wrestle Kingdom 9 was on... 
2009? January 4th, 2015. 2015. Because yeah. okay. 14, 2014, Russell Kingdom 14 was this year. Yep, that means NXT is right next to Shinsuke Nakamura. I think it's about I, another a year before Shinsuke comes to America. Yeah, this, yep. is, this is the match that I'm pretty sure put Shinsuke on Triple H's map of we need to get this guy in here. And the um, and Ace, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but this is at least my understanding of it after seeing it and seeing it multiple times, but not really like reading too in depth into it. So from my understanding, Shinsuke really wanted to be top guy in New Japan as a as a shoot, and they u- utilize that in storyline as well. They pat they said that Okada was more important, pushed him, and Nakamura is left with the secondary title belt. So effectively, this match is him being very angry in real life, as well as wanting to show up, basically Okada facing New Japan's Hulk Hogan at that point, to just say like, hey, you're guy- you guys are making the wrong decision, I'm kind of ready to go somewhere else at this point. So from what I know in real life, yes, Shinsuke was very much wanted to he wanted to be the top guy in New Japan. So and he thought if he felt like the the year before he I guess he, he felt that he had proven that he, that he was more of a star than Okada because at Wrestle Kingdom 8 they gave the fans the chance. Their the two title matches were Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Shinsuke Nakamura for the for the Intercontinental Title and Okada versus Naito for the Heavyweight Title. Fans were not buying into Naito. New Japan sensed that, so New Japan mm-hmm. gave fan, gave put out the option of for, it put out a fan vote to allow fans to vote for what would main event the Tokyo Dome show. I was saying Naito. Fans. This was before Naito became Los and Gobernable. Became. Became the became the night. This was before he became the Naito he is now, and back when he was Tanahashi light. Ah, so it was still like burning in my light. Naito. Yeah, Na- Naito and New Japan at that point was basically gained the Roman Reigns push. He was yeah. being thrown down your throat as a face. I, oh shit! That like it's a a real neat trilogy to look at of matches to look at and and look at the story going in and out of each one of them. <laughs> Naito has faced Okada for the title three times at Wrestle Kingdom and only won once. And each time they, they tell the story in that match, like the first match was before he became who he is now and how that car- how how that Naito was not was nowhere near Okada's level. The second time was he had come back, he had won the G1 for a second time, and then when he got to his match with Okada, he started to rely on his old tricks from before he became Losin, before he became Ingobernable, back when he was just the Stardust Genius. And, I like that name already. Okay. Uh, I, it, again, New Japan comes up with some really good nicknames for their guys. So he because he lent because he was leaning too hard on that, he lost that match as well. And then when he had his third match with with Okada, he was fully the character he is now and used only the stuff he knew would work and finally was able to beat him. And this is a story that has now been, that was told over eight years, seven, eight years. Holy shit. Yeah. It's, it, it is the, it is in my opinion, the, the, the fall and rise of Tetsuya Naito is in my opinion, the best long-term story that wrestling has told in a very long time. It reminds me a lot of, we, we do have similar stories here. We have The Rock, we have Steve Austin, we have Hulk Hogan. I love 
the mythology of wrestling, it feels like, like the legend of Gilgamesh or some crap. Naito, it feels like what Roman Reigns is going through. Roman Reigns, of course, being shoved down our throats for a while. Then he gets to be a badass. I get that Naito energy. I get that Roman Reigns energy. They're like kind of soul bonded to me in my head. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's get back to the, the Nakamura Bushi match. They're the two that are in the match that we're talking about. Build up, to build up Abushi. And Abushi, the more I see him, the more I realize he is. I say this in the best possible way. He is generic anime protagonist as a pro wrestler. Yes. Yeah. He is create a character default select. <laughs> I also think that this match was also before Ibushi took part in the Cruiserweight Classic. Yes, it was. So, uh, But um, the thing I like about this match, this is legitimately my favorite match of all time, is that... Whoa. Nakamura through this entire match, and it's the only match that I've ever seen do this type of storyline, is just doing various versions of having his character say, fuck you, not yours. <laughs> Abushi comes out in his entrance, and he's like all jazzed up. He's he's in a match for the title, and Nakamura comes out wearing a fucking crown and having his awesome New Japan theme. Fuck you, not yours. This is mine. I'll say this is only the second best in, uh, entrance that Shinsuke Nakamura has ever had at a Wrestle Kingdom. If you can find okay. it, watch his entrance from WrestleMania 8. Because that is like him and Okada's entrances are like the perfect like, big baller type of entrances when put together. Because Okada has money rain from the ceiling, and Shinsuke Nakamura oh, has pole dancers, including one <laughs> oh. that uses him to dance. So, sir, you could and you mean Wrestle you Kingdom? You could have stopped at pole. Yeah, dancers. Wrestle Kingdom Eight. <laughs> I was gonna watch WrestleMania Eight and look out for that. Uh, Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom. That's eight. a pretty, that's a pretty <laughs> big moment for me to miss in my childhood. Yeah, but but this is the match that is, I think, the best storyline of. This wrestle, my opponent is not on my level. The only time he actually that Abushi gets a decent amount of offense in is when Nakamura is like either taunting him or generally like being lackadaisical about things or just generally being just a snide asshole about all of it. And yeah, the story is building up Ibushi as a legitimate threat because he's able to get offense in. But in the end, in terms of the storyline, it seems that once Nakamura actually finally starts trying, he just wins. He kicks out at <laughs> one and wins. <laughs> he's, yeah, he, he hasn't stopped that, has he? That's just what he does. I'm going to win now. Okay, me, Kinshasa, it's over. It's over. Me. To the face! I love when he He was describing that. his character in that promo. That's the synopsis of Shinsuke Nakamura. Knee to the face. It's, it's one I don't ever want. Not one time, not ever. I I love this match. New Japan, like, as an entity, forces you to pay attention. You... Yeah. There's no gimmicks. There's no bullshit. There's no... And we watch it with the Japanese commentary just because it's... You can hear what they're saying in the tone in their voice, the way they speak. You don't have to understand Japanese to know what's happening. You just have to pay attention to the way they're speaking. And it's incredible. 
I'm here for the excitement. I'm here for the annotations in their voice, the inflections. I'm here to just hear someone be as excited about the product as I am. And they do that. In this match, Shinsuke Nakamura, he's it's less a clinic and more, yeah, I can sit here and be a punishment disher and giver and taker, and then I'm going to win because that's who I am and what I do, and you're going to pay attention to me. And you're going to pay attention to me really, really, really good. I feel like it's... I, 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 I might be misinterpreting this. I feel like it's that strong style element, element where if I'm taking a beat down, I am taking a beat down. If I'm kicking your ass, I am kicking the living shit out of you. There's no middle ground to it. Either Shinsuke Nakamura is beating the shit out of you or you're beating the shit out of him. That's it. It's very aggressive and I dig, I dig it. Either he has full domination or not. There's no tit for tat, no back and forth. That was only at the beginning for a little bit, and it just became a seesaw. I'll say this match also showed me that even even back in 2013, Kota Ibushi seemingly has no care for his own well-being and is willing to take shots and bumps and land on his neck. A lot. Yeah. It's like <laughs> more more than any sane person should. He just wants their respect, man. He's like, I've earned it, please. Shinsuke stomps him on his face. Like, the <laughs> camera zooms in to him getting stomped in the face. Yeah, that's a, a masochism there, just a little bit. Go ahead, Ace. Uh, there's also a good spot in this match where we see the, the beginnings of what I call murder bushi, where he snaps for a little bit and just starts deci- and decides that I, Nakamura doesn't need to be conscious or alive for me to pin him. So I can just start trying to really beat the shit out of him if I have to. Like, what do you uh, call it? Murder bushy. Uh, Murder bushy. Chills on my spine. Yeah, that's like, that's the that's the energy, and that's what. Yeah, you don't have to be conscious for me to beat like, you. It, he just it, you see it sna- like you you see him like get smacked in the face, and then you just kind of see it change in his eye the change in his eyes, where he's like, oh, I I don't care. Like the the conscious like his his conscious leaves his body. And he doesn't have to think anymore. His hair about changes. Whether he's doing something good. Yeah, he goes super sane. Basically, he did so in the in the Minoru Suzuki match where he knocked him out. Yeah, <laughs> the, so. I was gonna say more raging demon Akuma, but it, yeah, it this feels like said. it feels like all the adrenaline that's been building up in his body after getting his ass kicked and getting his ass kicked and getting his ass kicked and getting his ass kicked. It kicks in all at once, and then he's like. Freak out! Ooh, there's a mechanism for that. Two, 2K stole that. It's in WWE 2K20, 2K19, where if you keep getting your ass kicked enough, you earn a boost, where you just get to beat the living shit out of your opponent. <laughs> it, it always feels like it comes in Matt, like when he's he's obviously losing and he's getting to the end of his rope of what he can throw at his opponent, and then it just kind of takes them smacking you in the face for him to for him to snap. So this is his version of the Hulk Hogan Hulk up, and he kind of goes "you" all over his opponent. Yeah, <laughs> instead of instead of gesture, instead of gesturing to the crowd and then pointing, he just like he just punches them in the throat and <laughs> wa- lets them fall. Hogan's at home like this motherfucker's spitting. So Marlon and Suzette, since you had you've seen Ibushi in current New Japan, but you've only seen Nakamura in WWE. Did you notice any differences in his character with how he kind of showed himself in New Japan compared to how he is and how he was 
it across his tenure in WWE because a big criticism of Nakamura in WWE is he's gotten lazy. I think it's that he's lazy. I think it's the WWE style. It's a lot slower. It's you. Everything is like slowed down minus ten, and mm. you have somebody like Shinsuke Nakamura who. I don't know how the fuck he does it. Whatever breathing exercises he does to have this much endurance, I need them because this is ridiculous. He can go and go and go. He can get his ass kicked. He can get his ass kicked. He can come back up and kick your ass for 20 minutes. Then he's going to get his ass kicked for 20 minutes. He can go. He can put on a match. When you're in, in NXT, he was the same. It was a little slower than he is in New Japan, but it wasn't a huge downgrade going to the main roster that slow burn the burn through the clock run out the minutes that whole dynamic of their matches it it doesn't do him any favors i feel like that's because vince mcmahon wants a wrestling match shinsuke nakamura isn't a wrestler i noticed that watching his, his japan stuff he is a stunt coordinator he's here just trying to have a fight scene He's just here to look badass as shit and look cool. Shinsuke Nakamura would fit right in in a Quentin Tarantino movie. What they're having him do on SmackDown on a weekly basis, that isn't Shinsuke. They're trying to make him into this other thing and tone him down so that other people will seem equal to him. But no, Shinsuke Nakamura is far above everybody else there. Shinsuke Nakamura and Keith Lee should be on some other planet. And I see that watching New Japan right now. He's, he could take an ass beating, but he's not much of a wrestler. He is a striker. That is a fighter. Hey, so any final <laughs> thoughts on the Abushi nakamura match? It is night and day what Shinsuke Nakamura is now to what he was in New Japan. And this match is just great. Yeah. <laughs> like that, I, there, there, there's not, nothing I can say about this match because... What you need, what to because you can't put what this match is into words, you just need to watch it. Yeah, whatever kid me thought was real about wrestling, adult me thinks is real about wrestling here. These are just two grown men beating the holy shit out of each other. He is just stomping him in the face, and it doesn't even matter who I'm talking about because one of them is always stomping the other in the face. It's not a referee is stomping the ropes, everyone's stomping in this match. <laughs> yeah, my, o my only criticism of this match is more or less the the nature of how content is distributed in a modern era. So when I saw this originally, it was off of Daily Motion, and it was with JR and Matt Stryker on commentary. And what you need to deal with when you have JR on commentary is <laughs> he makes some good calls in this match, and Matt Stryker is certainly really helpful to him. And Matt Stryker is very good at telling you, like, what the ongoing story between the two is. But JR, like, when Nakamura is making his entrance, uh, the call that JR makes, and I'll probably splice it in because it's a JRism, is Nakamura prides himself on, uh, on Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson, but he's strong style, which means he's a badass. How you get. A badass from Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson. I oh. don't know, but Nakamura is that. So the IWGP Intercontinental Championship will be decided. That young man, Kota Ibushi, 
32 years of age, debuted in 2009, has an amazing future ahead of him. He's already been an IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Champion, but he's very young, very talented. Some say one of the cornerstones of the future of this company. But brother, does he have his work cut out for him tonight? I want to say brother, just so it makes you feel comfortable from uh, Lucha Underground. Yeah, shout out to my buddy Vampiro. Well, the big story here in this match is this young man, Kota Ibushi, had an amazing match two years ago at the G1 Climax Tournament with his opponent tonight. Many fans clamored for the rematch, but an ill-timed okay. concussion put Ibushi on the shelf. Nakamura continued his momentum, and then Ibushi returned, and a German suplex hold from out of nowhere, challenge issued, brings us to where we are right now. Ibushi, many are wondering, is he 100% healed from the concussion? Also, to bring up, Ibushi went from being a junior at 220 pounds and under, now to a heavyweight. That extra weight may help grew, or hinder. Yeah, he grew into a heavyweight. We don't know if it's going to help him or not. We know that he's one of the greatest high flyers recognized by all the major publications in the world. This man is one of the most unique, talented. Has I had a conversation with him uh, on uh, Saturday, and he is one of the most uh, unique human beings I've ever talked with. He loves Freddie Mercury, a, the former lead singer of Queen. For you kids that don't know, you can Google it. He's a Michael Jackson devotee. He's also called the king of uh, the strong spy, meaning he's a badass. How you could go from Freddie Mercury, Michael uh, Jackson, to being a badass is a unique journey but this multi-talented, unique personality gets it done. It's like, okay, okay, JR. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, so he's racist and homophobic in addition to being a sexist. Just going to wheel him back home, please. I, I, under I, will, I will give JR the benefit of the doubt and say I understand what he's going for because... He was brought on to the commentary team of Wrestle Kingdom 9 to bring New Japan to a new audience. They went on a media blitz when was that was that Wrestle audience was the audience racist just asking. They, no, no, they they were trying to get that English uh, that English speaking audience that like oh, they know who JR is and they associate JR with wrestling. So yeah, yeah. The and JR. All right, man. But it it was JR trying to trying to like morph the product into what he thought wrestling fans were rather than the reality of what they are which is why if you if you watch the the original american commentary version so not the kevin kelly one the one with matt striker and jr um you get a lot of matt striker correcting jr or like trying to give that little bit of information to kind of nudge him kind of like the aew commentators do where it's like hey eh, you <laughs> kind of want to be going this way jr and you're kind of veering veering off the path here <laughs> I, I, that's like guiding an old man i think that's the the biggest difference between current 
New Japan English commentary and English commentary from then is back then New Japan would essentially hire English commentators for each show and they would have certain ones that they would hire over and over but they weren't really full-time New Japan commentators so they didn't have any incentive to follow the stories and help tell the stories through in those matches help tell and help the wrestlers tell the stories through their commentary they were just there to they were pretty much just there because they were getting because they were getting paid to get to be there and if they wanted and needed to do a good job so they could continue to get paid so with this wrestle kingdom 9 match how do we measure it against john cena and edge i personally better so i would say this is greatest match of all time between the two of them yeah i i that's fair that's it's it's not it's not a it's not an objective comparison given you know the gimmick of the tlc match but it as comparing the two ranking them one two yes shinsuke nakamura koto Ibushi. i feel like if you just look at it just as for what it is entertainment value shinsuke nakamura versus Ibushi because it's better on a technical level and it's more digestible the john cena versus edge match that was like what 30 40 minutes that had, uh, that, that's a lot man this is a lot. You can't just set yourself up. You have to set yourself up to watch that. You can't just watch that on a whim. You have to be comfortable and ready to watch that. The Ibushi match is a lot shorter. It's a lot more digestible. And it's a lot faster paced. It's very snappy. It's just bam, 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 in and out. And it's not, there's no lulls. There's no slow points in it. By, I, I'm going to say by a thousand miles, despite the gimmick, despite the gimmick, Ibushi Ibushi versus Nakamura. No gimmicks, no anything, and still the better match. They didn't need it. They smoked him. And that's a gold star for Marlon. (laughs) 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 No, none of of this list is going to be truly objective. The, The only rule we have for objectivity is that the how we end up with the final list, much like if when we do best doves at either the end of this year or the beginning of next year the ranking always needs to be unanimous so there can't be any disagreement so basically if you disagree the other people just need to like force you to compromise (laughs) convince me (laughs) convince me why (laughs) so our final match is going to be the women's war games and because i don't want to immediately talk ill about this match marwin and suzette What did you think of this match? Why did you choose this match? This is one of my favorite matches of all time, period. And there's a couple reasons for it. One, greatest heel turn of all time in Dakota Kai, putting boots to asses to Tegan Knox. Tegan Knox has been irrelevant since, and that kind of sucks. But this was Dakota Kai picking her spot, making fucking dust of Tegan Knox and showing everybody I'm not just some fucking cutesy neon Aussie here to party and have a good time. No, I'm just as tough and just as scary as Shayna Baszler, who's scarier than me, and Rhea Ripley, who's bigger than me. No, I can do this too. And it it was a thing of beauty. And then... I want to get on that point. I want to get on that point. On that point, you're missing something huge here. These are three representatives of NXT UK, including the NXT UK champion, Kaylee Ray at the time. And this was their way of, despite not being the champion, this was how they found their way into the NXT US. 
Kaylee Ray, still in the UK, she did not leave an impression in this match. These two did. This was brilliant on their part. And then you have all this outside of the ring, you know, the whole pick your spot match. Fucking Shayna Baszler like a lion in a trap, just fucking prancing around, dancing, laughing. And it's just the greatest thing. And then in the ring, you have the EST of NXT, Bianca Belair, just turning everybody into meat, just mince meat, just grinding them up, chewing them up, spitting them out, and showing everybody what she's about. The fact that she never got a title shot in NXT pisses me off, and I feel like she's been living in the shadow of Rhea Ripley and Charlotte since Charlotte made her shocking return to NXT and then did exactly what I said she was going to do, win the NXT title, bury Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair, and then fucking disappear. Surprise, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And here we are. Thank you, Charlotte, for fucking ruining everything for everybody. Um, I'm going to bury you back, JR. All right. <laughs> I told you, Joey's the old man. I'm the old lady. Um, but Bianca Belair in this match, a thing of fucking beauty. Just I... a thing of beauty. I absolutely agree. Everyone at the top of their game in this match. This is NXT trying to prove a point. This is NXT women trying to prove a point from the gate. Who were the first two we had in this? In the match? Yeah. It was Io Shirai and Candice LeRae. And just suplexing the shit out of each other left and right. Like just beating the holy hell out of each other. And then like, what, what did that thing Io Shirai did running back and oh, forth the seven, against the ropes? 7,000 RPM. Yeah, that was ridiculous. No dude is doing that. Everyone came in here and it was just a spot fest. It, and it wasn't, I, it felt like a spot fest, but in the you're going to pay attention to me now kind of way. It, it felt like a group project came together. Like everyone came together then, in the back and came up with this. And well, and then you remember, that's pretty much exactly what happened. Dakota Kai and Shayna Baszler are roommates. They live together. Them, Mia Yim, uh, Keith Lee, and... Um, Jessamyn Duke, they all live together in this big-ass house in Florida. So they're friends. Candice LeRae is friends with everybody. Uh, mm. And her and Io Shirai had been feuding previously, so their matches always look great. It's, you have all... It's exactly what you said. It's a group project coming together. You have every, everybody in this ring has the same goal. To prove that we can do the exact same shit that men can do. It's like watching a school play. It's like, here's a bunch of kids in their project and it came together. Now we have an entire performance and it's not fair to anybody else. You have, what, two guys in a match versus like 10 women? Yeah. Yeah, their product is going to be better than yours. It better be better than yours and it was. I love this match. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite matches. I love matches where women get to show, hey, you know that shit, that fucking hyper-masculine Super tough, put a bunch of rings together, throw a bunch of chairs in there, let's have a fucking party match. We can do that too. Why the where's our match? Why can't we do that? And here it is, the first one, and everybody's putting on a clinic, and it's fantastic. And if this doesn't make a return, because this was last year, if this doesn't make a return this year, in whatever pay-per-view ends up having whatever takeover ends up having the war games, I'm gonna be pissed. They have next. I think they've already said that there's not going to be a War Games event this year. It's too many people for it's, the pandemic. Yeah. All right. Well, that <laughs> I forgot for a second. Uh, geez, watching this mess me back in time to before the pandemic. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Yeah, you see crowds and shit. And it's like, oh, oh. 
Oh yeah, there were there were crowds there. Okay. Um in All right, when, can't do that. All right. when the war games thing is a thing that can happen again without more talent. Hey, what if they all wear masks? Oh, so so war games featuring retribution and nobody else. Okay. Yeah, just retribution war games. <laughs> they're prepared. They're prepared. Retribution is prepared. They're smart. So Ace, what did you think about this match? I I have my own thoughts, but I'll save them for the end because it will probably start arguments. I I'm of two minds about the match. I it's good. It's like it's it's a good match. They do the what what they do in the ma- in the match they do well. I oh, don't <laughs> I don't see any like it it feels though like it was a war games match solely for the per it was it was the first female war games match solely for the purpose of them having the first female war games match. Like because that's that was my that was my thought. I had a lot of problems with. I hated the crowd. I hate I. It remind it reminded me of my favorite thing about pandemic wrestling, and that's the fact that in pandemic wrestling we don't get stupid self-aggrandizing count uh, crowd chants. At one point, clock. Where's the clock? They they originally have the clock in the Titantron, and every time it gets down, to, it was getting down to the end of a minute. The ca- the crowd would start counting that would start counting down from ten, and then they got rid of it, and they started they started chanting, "Where's the clock?" I, You're making this match sound better. That's that's that was a that was a feature. I enjoyed that. No, it was it it was I, a bug, no, not I a feature. <laughs> no, I I hated that too. I. I the only I, way it could have been worse is if the crowd had started chanting, started the worst ever crowd chant ever of "We are awesome," <laughs> which makes me hate. I like whenever I hear that, I'm like, oh, I hate every single one of you in the audience right now. It reminds me why I hate wrestling fans. That's that's what moments like that do. They remind me why I do not like like professional wrestling fans. You guys are all fucking dickheads. What if there was a beach ball, though? What if they put a beach ball in it? I swear to God, the next person that brings a beach ball to a live event, I will find out who they are. I will go to their house, and I will punch them in the face. Allo- I um, do not Allow me the to, be the, to be the dickhead here. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you, seem, you, seem very more, you seem more prepared to be it than I am. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say this as nicely as possible because I will not say that this was a good match. I will say it has good <laughs> spots in it and it has some good storyline elements to it, but to call it a good match, I think is overselling it by a bit. I think War Games as a match type works better for a live audience than it does a WWE television audience where they want all of the action to be actively on camera. So you have two rings in a cage, and you feasibly have enough people where there's constant fighting and there's just so much action going on. But when you have WWE television, you have one spot going on, and everyone else either selling or watching. And it got to the point of ridiculousness in this match when Bianca Belair throws um, Candice LeRae at Rhea Ripley, then sells it. She she's just stays in the other ring. 
for the rest of the time as they go about their spots because oh you're in the other ring now so that is that's off base and the fact that you can't even win the war games match until everyone is in the ring pretty much tells the audience exactly what Mauro Ranallo was saying which made it worse which is this match has not even started yet we're still waiting for everything to happen. <laughs> so everyone is bored. It, it, it's a criticism some people like a criticism a lot of people have leveled at New Japan matches is you don't need to watch the first 15 20 minutes of a New Japan match because it's not going to end then. See, That's I, the same I, thing with these war games matches. I, I feel oh, sorry. I I don't need to be tuned into this match until that last person comes into the ring. Because nothing that happens before that's going to really end up mattering much. But I feel that's the entire point of a war game. It's it's a it's a war uh, of attrition. It's you throw yeah. a bunch of people in there to beat the crap out of each other until all right, hey, we should probably have a winner now. And that, which, <laughs> that's yeah, which I think comes back to my that's one of the things I said of this match between between these between these women. I don't think the, I don't think anything they were doing necessitated it being a war games match similar to how there are just hell at in october in wwe there are hell in a cell matches for the just for there being hell in a cell matches that's what this felt like to me see i would agree with that if this was if this wasn't a spot fest that it was which it was it was an insane spot fest this wasn't a matter of just people out wrestling each other this was just tables and chairs and trash can lids and this was all about high risk you know Shirai jumping off the top of the off the top of the cage this wasn't about just people just rolling around wrestling this was a spot fest meant to just put on a spectacle and i feel that they brought that they brought the spectacle this wasn't just people in leg locks and holes this was hey here's what we can do this was just throwing shit at the wall this is what people who don't watch wrestling expect wrestling would be like oh you watch wrestling you watch that thing where they beat the crap out of each other of canes and chairs right yeah yeah i do this is the shit this is what it looks like this is what wrestling normally looks like to me because i grew up in the late 90s i feel like the war games is at least a little bit the brainchild of paul Heyman. i think if paul... yeah, this is ecw all over it if you're not an ecw fan you're not gonna like war games yep well, war games I... would do a wcw match that's type. true that's what fits right in with that era WCW, ECW, WWF all try and outdo each other. This fits right in. It's I I think that this match has so much potential and there's so much capacity for greatness. And I am in love with potential a little bit. That's just who I am as a person. So the potential that these that this particular style of match offers is incredible. Io Shirai's moonsault off the top of a war games cage that was a thing of fucking beauty and then she's smiling like the cheshire cat afterwards because she didn't fucking die that's oh man that was a thing of beauty there's you where else are you going to see something like that while something else is going on and that's it offers my favorite thing about tag team wrestling i'm a huge tag team wrestling fan and that is while the other guys are wrestling taking a break these guys are full of piss and vinegar. They have energy. Watch them do some awesome shit while we take a break. Well, they're tired now. We come in. We do the awesome shit. We're tired now. They come in and do the awesome shit. So it was just this endless stream of awesome shit going on. 
And there wasn't any breaks. There wasn't any moments where everyone was just lay, laying around while we just kind of looked at them gain their breath or hold someone in a sleeper hold or some shit. This was just endless spot after spot after spot and hard to live up to after this match. So tell me if this change would, if you think it would have helped not have the crowd, like keep the crowd into the match and not focused more on the clock and if it would have made the match better. One, uh, if you're doing a War Games match where you have single wrestlers acting as team captains and it's just faces versus heels, it's not like tag teams against tag teams as War Games was originally kind of built to do, then you only know the team captains. They're the ones who stand out there and all of the team members are secret. So you take a little bit from the Royal Rumble there. You also do not make the wait between wrestlers five minutes because that feels way too long to me. Agreed. And the only thing you would lose by making those two changes is, yes, you do lose the Dakota Kai slamming, uh, slamming the cage spot, but you can easily do that in a backstage like camera and keep it just the way it is. You could even Tegan Knox comes out to make her entrance into the match. Dakota Kai comes out and attacks her while she's doing it, and then the commentators are telling us that that Dakota Kai was the last member of of Rhea's team, and now she's fucked off because because <laughs> this this was what she wanted. So <laughs> that's true. The five minute wait puts pressure on the people in the ring to put up that many more spots. It puts the pressure on them to keep that engagement going while we wait for everybody else to come in. So I, I feel like that should be lowered to a minute. A minute wait would be just fine. And you'd still have a great crisp match out of that. I'd say you can even give them give it like just two give them two and a half, maybe even three. So it's not just bam, 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 entrance, entrance, entrance. I also think if the the beginning of the match wasn't just random people i think it should be the team captains it should have been Shayna baszler and rhea ripley starting the match like if the match is about them that the, the fall for the finish was between those two the match was clearly about those two for top bad bitch of nxt and they should have started the match and then everybody whoever got the advantage somebody from their team would come out and then somebody from the other team would come out and somebody from the other team would come out and it would go like that i think io shirai starting the match instead of Shayna baszler wasn't a good look i think if you're going to be a captain you have to lead the whole point of this is it's you know team ripley versus team baszler i see what you mean why didn't they why weren't why didn't they either start the match or if you want to do it the other way, why didn't they? And why weren't they the last two? They're either the, they should either be the first two or the last two. They shouldn't be yeah. somewhere in the middle. Oh, uh, like, I, I, it, in matches like this, like the the best time it works for the captain to be the one that enters last is if the captain is a chicken shit heel. And in which case, <laughs> like the best way it works is you have the face captain going out. They they go to the ring first, expecting the other team captain to also be the leading his team and be the team captain only for only for that team captain to be like oh no i'm i'm going to be the one that's i'm i'm going to take advantage of this and be the one that's fresh at the end of this 
in that See, regard, with I, team I, captains I going last because I like when wrestling decides to get a little more cerebral and game logic-y where I like the idea if you have two team, team captains who are going to come in last, that effectively the teams that they chose, especially if they are hidden from the audience, are like moves and counter moves against each other. I feel like that makes it a lot better because another thing that, that I had a problem with in this match is, so we're to understand that I imagine Shayna Baszler just like, worked Dakota Kai enough to convince her to turn on turn on De- or turn on what's her face Tegan Knox. Tegan- and um so you've ama- you've immediately got here rid yourself of one of your competitors you are going into a four on two scenario and there is nothing that the faces do in this match where they show themselves like beating the numbers game like doing something like really crafty to get out of it. I thought when the handcuffs were brought out, I thought someone was going to be handcuffed to the cage. I thought then you get into three on two and then something else is going to happen, but no, just Rhea Ripley wins. Okay, cool. That, that was <laughs> yeah, another, that... I, didn't, I didn't care for the end of this match. Like the, the abrupt ending. That's what it felt like. It felt like an abrupt ending. Like, they were, like, pressed for time or something. The timekeeper fucking fell asleep at the wheel. Something happened. I agree. That kind of sucked. But everything before that. And I was... I wanted Team Baszler to win this match anyway. Uh, the only person on Team Ripley that I liked going into this match was Candice LeRae. I didn't care for Tegan Knox and Dakota Kai as the weird BFFs. And then... Dakota Kai made her heel turn, and that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Rhea Ripley never really did anything for me. But going into this match, like, the first time, Team Baszler all the way. And the fact that they couldn't win pissed me off. Every single cool person here is a heel. Every single one. Tegan Knox is still a face, and she sucks. Everyone else is a heel. Uh, I think Shirai is technically a face. Yeah, Io Shirai, everyone was cheering her when she came out. I, I'd be hard-pressed to call Io Shirai a heel. She she is a like, face with that is booked as a heel. Like that that was yeah, This match also made me realize one of my problems I have with, uh, it's with WWE in general is a lot of times when someone changes from haste to, hate face to heel, it's not because like we we aren't really show like nothing really changes about them except now we are told to boo them. Yeah. When Shirai was technically a heel, and now when she's technically a face, I don't think she wrestles any differently than she did than she has. I think the only difference I've noted is she no longer grabs her head. She's no longer grabbing her head while she walks to the ring and acting like like she's hearing voices in her head and is crazy. Yeah, that's kind of weird. So. Nikki Cross went through the same thing. It's like so, crazy people are bad guys. I feel yeah. like they they don't do the hard face heel turn as much. And I feel like it's more, well, the crowd likes her, so she's a face now. But everything's going to stay the same. I feel like they, they're just lazy. It's the, the word you're looking for is lazy. They are very lazy. Yeah, it's kind of, we heard you cheering for Io Shirai, so we made her a face. Yay! We removed everything that made her the person you liked. Uh, yeah. 
It's what I don't like about WWE faces. They're they're watered down versions of themselves. It's like they have a brain chip or something. It's the Vince McMahon mind control puppet. Or brain slug. Brain yeah, slug so- Io Shirai. That's who faced Io Shirai is brain slug Io Shirai. Yeah, so sorry, Suzette, uh, kind of shit on your shit on one of your favorite matches that's, here. That's okay. When, when I... we bring AEW in, you can shit all over it. When I bring in like Bucks against uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page or something, which you will, because that's who you are as a person, and I will <laughs> I... destroy it. <laughs> so I I I knew in picking this match that I was gonna get something from somebody. And podcast dad Joey isn't here to defend me. So <laughs> I knew what I was walking into picking this match. So I'm I'm fine. Hey, that's fine. I still love this match. It was a spot fest and I dug it. I watch wrestling just to entertain me while I'm on my phone and distract me. So this did that. I had no reason to be on my phone. I had no reason to look at anything else. My attention was arrested on the screen because some shit was always going down. I wasn't looking at someone taking a break or resting in a corner. There was always someone doing some flip or hitting someone of something or somewhat. And when that wasn't happening, betrayal was going on. This was every, if I wanted to showcase someone why I watch wrestling, why I still watch wrestling, this is the match. I cannot do that with Ibushi. I cannot do that with John Cena and Edge. That shit's just over the top hilarious and 40 minutes of nothing. It would be 40 minutes and exhausting to my mom. This <laughs> match wouldn't. I could watch this with my dad. My dad would not get exhausted watching this, and my dad would not get bored watching this like he would if Ibushi. My dad could watch this match. He'd probably make some inappropriate comments, but my dad would watch this match. He'd also have 9,000 questions. Now, why does she have to do that? What is the purpose of that? Why doesn't she just, like, at my favorite, why doesn't she just, like, call the cops? It's not real, Dad. It's not fucking real. No, John Cena, John Cena will put my dad to sleep like he did underworld and toy story when he took me to watch them and then Ibushi <laughs> would also put him to sleep like when he took me to see starsky and hutch in theaters no this war games would keep his attention so I hey sorry dad. we kind of talked over you there no i my my issue, like the biggest issue i have with this match is one like like i said with the with the uh cena edge match that match the reason i was invested in that match was because of the story and to me, the story for this match did not necess- did not ne- did not make the make the stipulation necessary. That that's my where my issue. That's my biggest issue with this match. And that is fair, and I'll allow it. Yep. So if, if we <laughs> if we rank the top three matches of all time as of right now, when we have a pool of three, I'd say Wrestle Kingdom Nine Nakamura against Ibushi is one. Edge Cena's two. And women's war games would be three. Is that fair? I would flip that. You'd flip would, women's war games in Edge Cena. Yep, Edge and Cena would be dead last for me because I. It works for me for for nostalgic reasons. I grew up watching that period of wrestling. I I remember what I was doing with Susie at the time. That's that's what we get out of it. We get a story out of it, but the match itself. It would be exhausting. It's, 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 it is exhausting otherwise. It's just, all right, no, now what are they doing? It's a lot of, they, they do need to cast their breath. It's the, sto- the story sells it. If not for the story, it wouldn't be sold. Ibushi and Nakamura, they don't need a story. That is just a solid-ass match. I can't, I don't have really the same criticisms of, of War Games. War Games, it was just a spot fest. 
there wasn't any exhausting moments and it didn't really need a story as it was an exhibition of NXT's best. So I would put that at number one. Ibushi Nakamura as an exhibition of NDPW is a number two. And John Cena and Edge is being classic raw storytelling at number three. John Cena versus Edge, that's another Stone Cold versus The Rock. That's another Hulk Hogan versus Macho Man. That's another Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. That is number three. I I agree with you, but not really. Uh, <laughs> Shinsuke Nakamura, Kota Ibushi being number one, I, I can live with that decision. That I I don't have a point to argue against it. I have my own personal feelings why I want to tell Tony to fuck off and that he's wrong. But in terms of of like remaining objective and saying best, objectively the best of these three matches, Kota Ibushi, Shinsuke Nakamura being number one. Women's War Games being number two and John Cena Edge being number three because that match, it is very nostalgic and it's not the best showcase of a TLC match. Mm. There are better TLC matches and that have better stories that have people more invested in the match itself. It's Edge was one of the creators of the TLC match and he was invested in that match. I don't think John Cena was as invested in putting on a TLC match as he was putting on a match and winning back his title. That explains why Edge sold the holy crap out of that match. Edge took most of the bumps because he had to sell the concept of TLC. That's his baby. That's his stock. Yeah. He needs to make sure that a TLC match is worth its salt and still looks good. So Edge is going for every goddamn table and chair he could imagine. And you can't. You can't have all the women in war games, they're invested in the match itself. The outcome of the match, the stories happening in the match, out of the match. There's a lot happening. There's so much to pay attention to. And everybody is invested. There's only one person invested in the TLC match itself, and that's Edge. John Cena didn't care about the match and why a TLC match was important, and it showed in the way he performed in that match. Which made, I mean, I noticed two things. One, Edge, sad as crap when the match started. Like, he had, he almost had tears in his eyes giving up that title to the referee. He knew what was coming, and it friggin' sucked. Edge is not really good at hiding his emotions. <laughs> I, I know that feel. Uh, Him and Bailey have that in common. Which made it uh, very, very heartbreaking when John Cena climbed to the top of that ladder and Laxa basically took the title away from him. Like, this doesn't even mean anything to me. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it, I guess. This means the world to you, but it's mine now. And that, I felt it. So, Ace, where's your list end up? So, to get to get objective, because because of the, the things that happened in between the ropes, not, like, if I take, if I take the story, thinking of storyline aspect out of it, I would put Ibushi and Nakamura at one, the Women's War Games at two, and Edge and Cena at three. I am fine uh, compromising and saying Women's War Games is number two. Yeah, it, it, I have I have no I have no horse in the race to uh, <laughs> other than Abushi Nakamura being in number one. So Marwin, I'm going to have to have you stop being wrong there um, and, <laughs> and move that up your list. But uh, <laughs> but in terms of War Games and Edge Cena being. Uh, number two and three 
that's that's fine with me. Um, I think Cena has had better matches. I think Edge has had better matches. I think Edge and Cena have even had better matches together than the uh, than that TLC match. So I can certainly say that. Um, with the War Games, I cannot rightfully place it above the Wrestle Kingdom Nine match because the way I see it, the it would be like if I'm trying to get someone into into comics or something, and maybe there's a really good like Batman story. Maybe I'm giving them Batman issue one from the new fifty two, like the first trade paperback, which was really good. It brings in the Court of Owls storyline. Not making a favorite one this time. I am making a making a comic book reference. Um, I think showing someone women's war games at the very start compared to like Abushi Nakamura, I think that would be the equivalent of throwing them uh into like the Night of the Owls event first. <laughs> when there's already stuff there's already stuff that's happened, a lot of things are happening, and it's kind of a mess. But still really fun to read. I mean, bet, get the hell out of my cave is a really good line. <laughs> <laughs> I just hand it to you anyway. So, since this needs to be unanimous, are we fine with Nakamura Bushi at 1, Women's War Games at 2, and Edge Cena from Unforgiven to, to 2006 at 3? Yes. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yes. Sounds good. Perfect. We we have come to a conclusion. Hooray! Yay! So this is, this is only going to get more fun when we start bringing in other matches. So, <laughs> and then we get to like place things inside of other things and get a more encompassing list going. But we should do one of these a month. I'm all for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is. This is good. But aside from that, let's get into best things in wrestling this week. And this is going to be the first time in like three weeks that we're going to be able to, because I had to junk the the wrestling RPG into bonus episodes. So um, we're not going to get our best things in wrestling from those episodes, sadly. And I will start just because it's really good. Um, go out and watch Kota Ibushi against Minoru Suzuki from the October 10th G1 show. It is amazing. And I think the more I watch Minoru Suzuki, the more I I will easily put him in like best wrestler probably of all time that's over that wrestled into his 50s. But I might put him into pure greatest of all time like in flair austin hulk hogan territory because he elevates everyone he's worked with in every single match i've seen him in and he seems to just know his character so well that he's just a force Agreed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone is stunned silent by Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> he's terrifying. What do you I don't want to say anything about him. He's... Yeah, he can probably hear my thoughts. Um I he scares the shit out of me, like for uh, like on some real shit, like he scares the shit out of me. Whoever the real Minoru Suzuki is, he's not possessed by a demon. He's possessed by an oni. That is an oni walking around in a hood. <laughs> So, Abe, what's your best thing in wrestling this week? My best thing in wrestling is going to be Kota Ibushi's face during his match with Shingo Takagi. 
on the, from the October 7th G1 show. He says <laughs> the look on his face, uh, like uh, eyes wide open, mouth oh, mouth aghast as Shingo Takagi lifts him up to hit the, hit the maiden Japan and just the, the expression on his face of, I have made many mistakes that have led me to this position and now I have to figure out what I'm going to do afterwards. Alright, um, I forgot his name. Uh, who's the dude, the dude, the, the cruiserweight champion? Um, Asantos Escobar. Asantos Escobar. He did the thing we said he should do. He came out in his mask and he looks badass as crap. I love that. And he's backed by his two bodyguards. That dude is having an amazing glow up and I love what he's becoming. He is rising to the occasion and it feels like NXT is trying to help push him. Like, what do you need from us? What do you want? And they're making him look good and his entrance looks amazing. And I buy him as the champion now. He could say all of his promos in Spanish and just have like a translator or something and the mystique would only build. That dude, I buy what he's selling. Him and uh, who's that dude that stopped at the end? Cobb. He beat the crap out of Adam Cole. Oh, um, fuck me. Uh, he's I, already injured. He's already injured, is. so it doesn't matter. All right, cool. <laughs> Wait, Ridge Holland. Thank you. Ridge Holland. I figured a Cobb. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking so, Jeff Cobb. <laughs> Jeff Cobb. All right, Ridge Holland. Yeah, Ridge Holland was amazing, and it's a damn shame that I keep backing horses that injured themselves, and I'm starting to think I'm cursed. Because Karrion Cross is gone, Dexter Loomis is gone. I looked at Ridge De- Holland, and he fucking injured himself. Good, good news, <laughs> Dexter Loomis is back. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so I'm excited about that. Best thing in wrestling this week is that Dexter Loomis is back. And don't, and don't worry, Marlon, the Butcher and the Blade are still wrestling, so... <laughs> They'll never to, like, like you said, back in the wrong horses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you ace. I, I love you so much. That's the greatest thing I've heard today. That's the best thing in wrestling. I ace shitting on Marlon for his poor choice in, in draft picks. Um, They're doing fine. They're still wrestling. I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to take two because mine are little tiny moments. Um, one, uh, Finn Balor got his shit rocked, broken jaw, finished a match, and didn't fucking just run away into the back. If my jaw's in two pieces, I'm fucking leaving. Yeah, you that ain't, was awful. You oh, ain't gonna fuck. see me. I'm gone. Goodbye. I'm gonna go cry somewhere where nobody can see he me. He completed his finisher. He's just fucking standing there holding the title, nodding, like trying to smile and can't. The fuck is that man made out of? Terrifying. And also terrifying, Alexa Bliss, Alexa Bliss and Bray Wyatt. I don't know what drugs those two are on. I don't know what they're doing. I love it. I hope they never stop. I hope this goes on literally forever. Their moment at the top of the ramp together, I felt that in my soul. I didn't know that I could feel fear and arousal simultaneously, but that's what happened. And it was great. Well, speaking of fear and arousal simultaneously, um, your moment is then. Check out Randy Orton's Instagram for him dirt biking on a tiny little bike of his daughter for my true favorite moment of the week. <laughs> it was literally so cute. He's him leave his departure from professional wrestling is coming. I can feel it. I'm not ready for it, but the life that he has made for himself outside of wrestling, that's that's a happy fucking dude. 
I like seeing happy Randy Orton, and I'm not sure what scares me more, angry Randy Orton or, or happy Randy Orton. Happy, happy Randy Orton has something to lose. That's why it's scary. Ugh. I don't have to burn out my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we should end up the episode. <laughs> and that is our first episode of Greatest Wrestling Matches. We will keep this train going uh, um, into the coming months and hopefully get a bigger list and more wrestling matches. If you want to give us suggestions for wrestling matches, we do have our Facebook page. We have our Instagram. We have a Twitter um, that is run by actually between the three of us. I run the Facebook, Ace runs the Twitter and Suzette runs the Instagram. So where give us, give us a shout and we will look at whatever Whatever match you really throw at us, if you mm-hmm. even want to throw us something from like rock and wrestling in the 1970s, if you guys are like the shield of social media. YouTube, we will watch <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, if we're the shield, who who am I? Oh, you're Dean Ambrose. You're the yes. lunatic fringe. Fantastic. All right, who's Joey or Tony? Oh, Tony. Tony is Roman Reigns. Comes in with a smooth voice. All right. Oorah. Tony says one oorah. I, I buy it. <laughs> And that makes Ace. Ace of Seth Rollins. Poor Ace. Ace Ace deserves better. It's entirely because of his interest in architecture. (laughs) I mean, when I first started going to college, I started as a civil engineering major, so. Well, there you go. (laughs) I ended a history, I ended with a history degree, but I started as a civil engineering major. And on that bombshell, I'm going to end the recording. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fantasy Bookers. If you would like to support us, you can visit us at anchor.fm slash fantasy hyphen bookers and hit the support tab. When you hit the support tab, it will give you a few options, but if you support us at the $5 level, we will give you a Discord invite to our Fantasy Bookers Discord where we talk about future episodes, debate various wrestling things or just generally talk about non-wrestling things every dollar that you give to support us is just going to go right back into the podcast so we can get better mics get different uh different things to help out get better audio editing software all of that stuff so uh if you go to anchor.fm slash fantasy bookers you can do that and we thank you very much So we'll be back next week. Have a good day.